some new lives. I'm glad we're all together today. We're obviously we're very happy. Real quickly, turn to Psalms chapter four if you got a Bible. Psalm four, and it'll be up on the wall if you like it. I've been regulated to uh, opening and then leaving. That's a joke. Bible says in Psalm four, answer. Oops, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayers. He's been giving him relief when he was in distress. Have you had that experience this week? In distress, prayed, God answered. You sought the Lord and he heard and he answered. Amen. There's only three of you that had that happen this week. Come on, we got we to work on this Christianity thing a little bit. It goes on to say, oh man, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and, and seek after lies? Meaning that there's always going to be negativity in our lives. Like, you're always going to face people who are going to be against you, who are going to be um, anti-you, that are going to give you trouble. How many of you had that problem this week, but don't look at your spouse? <laughs> right? But here's what I wanted to get to. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. It means that we're special. Amen? Amen? We're his children. He's listening to us. He's paying attention to us. He loves us. It is good to know that you're loved by God. No, 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 no. It is good to know that you're loved by God. There we go. You're slow this morning. We're going to pick this up. But what I want you to really focus on is the Lord hears when I call him. I love that confidence. The Lord hears when I call him. The Lord hears when I, I know that God hears me when I pray. I know he hears me. I know he hears me. So here's what I thought this morning with the kids coming in. Let's stand. What's the prayer that you want God to hear the most this morning? And just let's take a moment, bow our heads, and pray that prayer. And then I'll go ahead and open up the service in prayer. So what's the prayer you want God to hear this morning? And you kids can join in that too. You can pray to God too. What prayer do you want God to hear this morning? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we know this. We know you are not a dead God. We know you're very much alive, and we know that you're paying attention to those of your children that are here this morning. Some of the prayers we requested are hard prayers, they're difficult prayers. We don't know how they're going to come out. We just know that you're going to answer. It might be a yes, it might be a no, but we, we're going to know that you're going to, you're going to hear our prayers when we cry out to you. So reveal to us your person and the answer to our prayers. Let us see you at work in our daily lives. Father, as we start this service out today, we do this for you. We, we love you. We're here for you. We're giving up this Sunday for you because it is the Lord's day. And so we ask that you just hear our cries, honor our worship, help us with the word, and encourage us to walk out of here knowing that God hears everything we need him to hear. In Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's worship.
Of your presence, let us experience. 
tried so hard to see it. It took me so long to believe it. You choose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it. You give what we the head. 
question is, do you have the faith to believe that? No, 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 I got two people that said amen to that. It's going to be a slow day today, I can really tell. We want to just give you one announcement that on October 3rd, we're going to do or start our rooted class. It's a Tuesday night class. It is our basic discipleship class. If you've gone through it and it's helped you, give an amen. So if you haven't gone through it, then it hasn't helped you. So we want to help you. So October 3rd, um, Joey and, uh, is Christine helping this time? Joey's outside. I'm just going to say Christine's helping. Oh, she's upstairs. <laughs> Got to be careful who's looking down on you. You want to hope that it's the Lord. I also want to just thank you for your faithfulness and your offerings. I know it's not an easy time in the world to, to trust God with your finances. Because Fred Myers wants to take all your money. Or at least Costco does. I don't know. I, I'm starting to get worried when all the young members of the church want to go to Costco after church for a date. It's like, come on, guys. Go, go somewhere. Go somewhere cool like Plaza Jalisco, right? But let's, let's just pray for that offering real quick. Father, we love you. And I just pray that you bless these people so much that they don't know what to do with what you give them. I just pray that there's such a blessing poured out on them that they have to just tr tell the world that Jesus Christ is true. Father, I just pray that you would continue to bless their families, bless their health, bless their jobs. But more than anything, bless their faith in you. We love you. And we're thankful for people who just trust you and obey you and live for you. Encourage your hearts today. We love you, Jesus. We pray and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. One more song. Can we go one more song? Okay. When I just sang another song 
Come 
dismiss the kids. Ooh. Show of hands, who's going to Costco after this? Come on, show of hands, let me see who's going to Costco. All right, who's going to Dairy Queen after this? All right, uh, looks like Gavin Jasper's going to both, so that's good. Um, I'm sure he's not using his parents' money, he's using his own. Um, well, good morning, church. Come on, turn to somebody and say, look them dead in the eyes and say, good morning, church. Barb, I see that look. Thank you. Wow. Welcome to church this morning. Church is a fancy religious word that just means a gathering of people together for a very specific reason. All right? And we have a reason. Amen? Amen. Come on. What's that reason? Oh, you guys must have gone to private Christian school. If you don't know the answer, it's always Jesus. Amen? Well, um, I told Pastor that I've been meditating on this scripture, and it has nothing to do with my message, but I have figured out a way to say it. So the Bible says, um, who here is a parent? Anybody? You got kids? All right. Who, who's, who's a parent of adult children? Come on. Lord, we ask that you would bless them and keep them. Now that they are ultimately not in control anymore. All right. Um, show of hands, who is, under, is 18 years old or younger? Come on. Come on. Give me a show of hands. Come on. Keep them up. Keep them up. Everybody look at them. Look them dead in the eye. All right. We have some younger people with us this morning. Um, I want to welcome our young people. Today is about you. I am preaching to you, and if the old people get something, great, all right? But it is for you guys, all right? The Bible promises uh, in Proverbs that if you train up a child in the way that they should go, when he is old, come on, come on, when he is old, he will not depart from it, Right? And so many of us, and I say us because now I'm old, all right? I think when Tristan turns 18, he's going to be on the straight and narrow. He will not depart from it if I've done my job, which I haven't. Come on, anybody know as a parent you have failed more times than you want to admit, Right? And we hope and we pray and we pray and we hope and we knock on wood that somehow, some way, God gets a hold of our children. Amen? Amen? But that word old, when they are old, they will not depart from it. I see so many of us, we get discouraged that our children are not going in the way that they should go. And I've got some hope for you. That word old is a Hebrew word. And if you study Hebrew, so much of Hebrew and Greek actually are, it's like a picture language. They, they say, ah, it's like this or it's like that. And that word old, if you trace it down, actually means the droopy jowls of a camel's face. <laughs> it is tied to these, all right? So if your child doesn't have jowls yet, there is hope. Come on, come on. 
And if they do have jowls, just teach them, just do this, right? You've got time. Our God is a big God. He's a, he's a long-term God. Come on, our God is a big God. He's powerful. He can work on our hearts even if we've got jowls. Come on. Come on. Are you guys having fun already? Well, this morning, I, I, I am being serious. I do want to speak to our younger people. Um, we, a couple weeks ago, we promoted some of our kids that were in uh, Kids Life in, in children's ministry, and they're now in here with us. They've got their own Bibles. Um, I spoke to two of them. One of them didn't have their Bible. The other one had lost her Bible. But like, like uh, the parables, she has found it. And I'm not going to say who it was, but someone has found her Bible and she wants to rejoice. So um, we're going to get into the scripture, but I want to talk to you about the church. I want... As, as young people, as you guys start interacting with the church and you start coming or not coming to the church, I want you to know what God's house is about. I want you to see all the stuff that goes on and realize what is superficial, what is cultural, and what is God's house this morning. Amen? Um, I had... Uh, I've got a book um, that I've been reading, and this gentleman, he's an older theologian, he's passed away now, um, was talking about Christians, and he's talking about religion, and he makes this statement in his first paragraph, the first sentence, he says, there is no place on earth that has as much waste as the church. I thought, whoa, hot take, right out of the gate, A.W. Tozer, whoa. And I read on, and he talked about when people decide that they're going to follow Jesus, oftentimes they're told it's so that they can go to heaven forever. It's so that they can escape hell. Maybe God will do some great things for them. Maybe God will bless them. And they're, they're given maybe a Bible, a pat on the back, and say, good luck. And in a spiritual sense, he said, it's like... As a church, we hand them a hammer and a saw, and we never tell them what to do with it. He said, so week after week, we have Christians who come with their hammers and their saws, and they polish them, and they get them all nice and shiny, and they never use them, and they put them away Sunday afternoon, and they wait until next week. And I thought, man, A.W. Tozer, you got some good stuff. And then I remembered, I, I'm a carpenter. I like to build things. I, I've worked in construction, and I have several hammers. But I have one hammer that is shiny, that has never been used ever, and I see it every time I dust my shelves. It was given to me as a gift, and it's actually right here. Um, it's inscribed. It says, Cadre, building a legacy. Would you guys just look at that? Would you just look at it? Wow, so purdy. And I'm sitting there in my padded seat reading a theologian about polishing hammers, and I think, I have a hammer that I literally don't use, 
because it is so special. Right? And I thought, that is stupid. I go and get hammers to use. Why don't I just use this one? And so this one I have started, it's got a little bit of use, but I've started using it because do you know what hammers are for? They're for building. Hammers are not supposed to be beautiful. Does anybody have a beautiful hammer? Does anybody have a rusted, beat up, rebent back into shape hammer? Come on. Does anybody remember those hammers that were like little tubes, right? And your dad would like bend it over and then he would just bend it back. And you're like, dad, it's not a good hammer anymore. Get a new one. No, this hammer is for building. Dwayne knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) Being a Christian, coming to church is not about polishing up our theology. It's about using it. It's about it getting busted up and rusty and dings and use. Amen? This last Thursday, we had our first Thursday, and Pastor Mark, can we give a round of applause for a man who has devoted his life to knowing the Holy Spirit? Come on. As I was sitting there, I just thought, wow. I mean, I'm a fan of the Holy Spirit. Don't get me wrong. But Pastor Mark loves the Holy Spirit. And it was just oozing out of him. And I was just like, huh, whoa, does Barbara know about this? (laughs) And she does, because she loves the Holy Spirit too. But Pastor Mark said when he was a teenager, he was at church, and he came and he just was interacting with the Holy Spirit. And he just, he said he came up to the altar all by himself. No, no preaching, no scripture, no, no, you know, coercion, no, you know, music playing. And he just said, he walked up to the altar and he said, God, if you can use me, if you can use me, I will devote my life to you. Not if you can make me great. Not if you could pour out blessings on me. Not if I could, you know, have pedigrees and and certificates on my wall so that people can see how smart and wonderful I am. But if you can use me. And he is a man that God has used. Amen? Raise your hand if God has used Pastor Mark in your life. Come on. Look around. Look around. Well done. Well done. Psalms 23, if you want to open up your Bibles. <laughs> to Psalms 23. After all this torture, she is going to Dairy Queen after church. Uh, I am going to owe you. All right, Psalms 23 says this, and this is one of the verses, one of the things that people love to polish. This is one of the, the Psalms. Is like, ah, even people who hate God know this Psalm, okay? And here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Just pause for a second. I just love how vindictive King David is. 
Like, I can relate. Like, we're supposed to be, like, take the high road. He's like, God, I need you to take the low road for me, okay? You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Oh, I love it. Man, there's all kinds of great, amazing, incredible things for you and for me that God is going to do for us. It's incredible. It's amazing. I love it. One of my favorite verses is that last verse that surely goodness, your goodness, not just goodness in general, but God's goodness and his mercy are going to chase me. I'm going to have to make an effort to get away from God. And then David caps it off with this. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's house. The people around you are the church. This is God's house. If you're trying to figure out the right way to go, it is in God's house. Come on. We live in a, uh, I would say a fraternity, not focused, but we definitely have fraternities in our society. We have people who belong to specific groups. And if you want, we can actually use the word church kind of as a fraternity. It's a gathering of people who are like-minded, who gather for a very specific reason, okay? Um, Does anybody, and please don't throw anything at me, okay? If you're an old fundamental Baptist, don't, don't, just let's not do it, okay? Send me a snarky email. Does anybody, and don't raise your hand because you don't need these looks or whatever, but you guys know Harry Potter, right? And, and Harry Potter goes to Hogwarts, which is a university for people who do magic. And... When you get there, you get placed into one of the four houses. Does anybody, does it, do you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I love that. I do. <laughs> right? And, and they get assigned to a house, right? There's, I think it's Gryffindor is one, right? Uh, Slytherin is one. There's Hufflepuff, I think. I can't remember the fourth one. Um, What was that last one? Obviously. I was testing you. Now we all know who it is. Um, And these specific houses come with specific emblems and badges and characteristics, right? And they, they have banners that say, hey, I'm from you know, whichever house. And you say, ah, that's, you know, dumb and satanic and whatever. We can talk about it in the email, all right? But if you think you're above it, I just want to ask right here, right now, are you a Chevy person or a Ford person? You a Dodge person? Or are you in God's house and you're a Toyota person? Come on, right? 
If you know anybody who's in the military, all right, the Air Force has all kinds of things to say about the Marines, and the Marines can trash talk the Army, and the Army has absolutely hilarious jokes about the Navy, amen? And nobody talks about the Coast Guard because they're not even military. Come on. I was just, I'm a reflection of the things I have heard from military personnel, okay? It's just a reflection. Do you guys know what I'm talking about though, right? Right, we belong to different fraternities. We belong to different mindsets and it's us against them and we and them, right? And the Air Force, I've got two brothers who are in the Air Force and the Air Force prides themselves in living the good life. Why do you think they call them the chair force? Right? Come on. And, and, and we've got all kinds of different fraternities that we belong to. And, and we, we hold these values almost as sacred, as part of our identity. But what is the identity of the church? What is, what is the banner that flies over the house of God? What are the characteristics? What's the foundation of the church? Because that's the fraternity. When I die, I want people to know I was a part of that fraternity. Amen? So in Matthew, Matthew, if you want to open up your Bibles or flip if you are already got them open. All right? Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 13. We're going to start. In verse 13, with Jesus, what is the house of God about? What, are, what, what is the, the crest? What are the characteristics of the house of God? What is the, the foundation of what God's church is built on? It says this in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Meaning, who does... Who do people say that I, Jesus Christ, am? There's been talk, right? There's a hashtag, but what are people saying? Verse 14, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Word on the street is that Jesus was a man of God. Word on the street was that Jesus was a prophet. Jesus spoke for God. Jesus spoke with authority from God. He was sent from God. That was the word on the street. Then he asked them a slightly different question in verse 15. But who do you say that I am? Kids, it does not matter what your parents say about Jesus. It's what you say about Jesus. It's what you believe about Jesus. It's not what your friends talk about. It's not what you heard somewhere. But it is what you believe Jesus is. Verse 16, Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Kids, this is not something you learn in class. This is something you learn when you encounter God. 
I've been on this kick about Genesis and walking in the garden with God. That was plan A, was that we would walk and talk with God in nature, in the world that he created. That is where you're going to find this stuff. That's where you're going to find who Jesus is. You can listen to me all day. You can laugh at my stupid jokes, all right? You can just sit there and say, oh, this is amazing, wonderful. But you're never going to learn who Jesus is from me. Hopefully you see some aspects of Jesus in me and in your parents and in the people in your lives, but you will know who God is when you encounter God. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. You might be tempted to believe that Jesus is talking about Peter, and Peter is the rock of the church, except that's not anywhere else in Scripture. When we interpret scripture, we interpret it through the whole Bible. What does the whole Bible say about the rock of the church? It's in the Old Testament, it's in the Psalms, it's in the prophets, it's in the New Testament, it's in the letters of Paul, Peter, and John. Jesus Christ is the rock of the church. Jesus is not saying, Peter, you're the rock. Because I'm going to tell you right now, Pastor Andy is not the rock of this church. Come on. I am not the rock of this church. And no matter how amazing and incredible each one of you are, you are not the rock of the church. Jesus is saying, Simon Peter, your name means rock, all right? The disciples were really slow. If you read through, they were so slow. So Jesus is like, Peter... Rock, rock. Do you know what a rock is? Rock. Okay. Now, this rock is what I'm going to build the foundation of the church on. And what the rock is, is that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Throw out all the rest of theology. You don't need it. You do not need it because out of that rock will come living water. Everything that you need will come out of Jesus Christ. If you don't need it, he won't give it to you. But I will try to give it to my children because I think I know what they need. Ooh, you guys didn't think we were gonna go there. Oh, I think I know what my kids need. And so I, sh I push it and I shove it and I say, this is a, this, this. And I'm not saying to disregard your parents or to tune your parents out. What I'm telling you is to tune into God. Tune into Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God. Turn to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus are three little teeny tiny books. You can read them during math class and you'll finish all of them. I don't suggest it, but that I just give a frame of time. 
They're short, they're easy to read, and they are letters from Paul to pastors, to church leaders, specifically how to lead the church, how to lead the house of God in the first century culture, in the different cities that they were in, in the different circumstances that they were in. Paul says, this is how the church of God should conduct itself. In 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3, in verse 16. I circled it and I crossed out the 6. I don't know what that is. All right. 1 Timothy 3, verse 16. Without question, Paul says emphatically, without question. What do you think that means? It means that Paul is speaking pretty seriously. He's, you know, parents, when you kind of like throw something out there, you're like, oh, I hope that works. Right? Kids, have you ever made a paper plane before and you're like, this will fly, right? And then there's times, if you're really into this sort of thing, where you learn and you practice and you, you experiment with the different weights of paper and you know that you know that you know that you know that your paper plane is going to beat all the rest of the kids' paper plane in that little contest. Paul says, without question, Timothy... This is the great mystery of our faith. And kids, I want to tell you right now that walking with God is a mystery. Walking with God is a mystery. You will learn more and more and more and more. And over the course of your life, God will reveal a little bit and a little bit and a little bit what you need to know. He will reveal. It'll, you know, who likes mystery murders, Right? Anybody? You guys are going to raise your hand. It's okay. The church has not condemned them yet. <laughs> Who likes to watch the whodunits, right? Okay? And, and they're so frustrating to me because there's no way that we know whodunit because you're feeding us little insignificant clues and then at the end, ta-da, it was actually her, Right? Oh my gosh, the inspector killed him. Who knew, right? Well, not us, because we didn't know, because it was a mystery. Paul says, without question, this is the great mystery of our faith. This is the thing that you are going to continue to chase and seek and puzzle over and struggle with. Christ was revealed in a human body. And vindicated by the Spirit, he was seen by angels and announced to the nations he was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Seems pretty straightforward to me, doesn't it? Right? Who thinks you could wrap your head around that? This is, Paul says, this is the great mystery of our faith, that God was revealed in a human body, Right? God showed up and told Mary, you are going to conceive of God, and he's going to be the Messiah. That's kind of far-fetched, right? I mean, 
How many of us, if our teen daughter came to us and be like, by the way, had a vision, God told me I'm going to be pregnant. And dad, it's not what you think. Yeah, uh, Mary, we're going to send you to your cousin Elizabeth so that nobody knows what has happened. Come on. God came in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus was baptized, and it says that a dove came down, and God said from heaven, this is my son who I am well pleased with. So God did his first miracle. He showed up. Then he spoke out of heaven, had a dove come down. He was seen by angels, right? There's a story where the angels showed up and they said, hey, shepherds, tonight, tonight, God was born in a manger. Go see it for yourself. They started singing, glory, glory to God in the highest, right? God has shown up. The angels were also seen after Jesus was resurrected, right? The disciples came running to the tomb, and there's two glowing dudes. That's what it says. Two glowing angels, and they said, what, why are you looking here? Jesus isn't here. Jesus shows himself to the disciples. He goes up on the hill. He says his goodbyes, and then he ascends into heaven. And who, uh, who was there to say, he's left, but he's coming back? Angels, supernatural beings. He was announced to the nations. The disciples went out from Jerusalem. They announced it. Over and over and over again. Why do you think we have the Bible? Anybody here from Jerusalem? Nope. It was announced to the nations. You are living proof that he was announced to all the nations. He was believed in throughout the world and taken to heaven in glory. Kids, if you can... Wrestle with this reality that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. That Jesus did what his best friends said he did and were willing to be martyred for that truth. If you can believe all of that, that is the rock that the church is built on. That is what this fraternity is about. It is not about how loud the music is. It's not about how bright the lights are. It's not about the stained glass. Come on. It's not about the clothes. It's not about whatever it is that you think it's about. In my experience, there are generally three reasons why people come to church. The first one is family. You done did got drug here or shamed into it, okay, because you're visiting Mima. <laughs> Come on. I see some people, I'm not going to call you out, but I know some people are like, 
if my parents didn't drag me here, I could be sleeping right now. Right? Or, or we come to church because that's what our family does. And I've been coming to this church since I was a baby. And I know these, you know, rooms inside now, and, and I have played hide and seek in here since before all y'all got here. Okay? That was my life. I don't even remember the first day I went to church. Okay? Family, our family, this is what our family does. We go to church. But when you become an adult, you start your own life and your own set of values. And you need to decide whether or not you're going to be part of this house that is built on God. Second one is because your friends come here. Right? We, when we ask people, hey, do you have any friends that don't know God? Bring them to church. Bring your friends to church. Bring your friends to church. Ask them. Beg them. Bring them. And so you come to church because your friends are here. But then your friends leave. And then you're left here at church thinking, gosh, church kind of sucks. I don't feel good at church anymore. I don't feel welcome at church anymore. That's because we were coming to church for the wrong reasons. I can't tell you how many times I came to church because I wanted to go to youth group where my friends were playing capture the flag. I mean, I'm just going to be honest, right? And I figured out the, the darkest place I could serve so that I could just zone out so that I could hang out with my friends later. But that's not what the church is built on. That's not what this house is about. And the third reason is because people are spiritually hungry. They want something deeper. They want something supernatural. They want, there's a spiritual hunger and thirst in them to find something that is beyond the next thing that we can buy at Costco. Come on. I like a good Costco special. But there will be another one. I assure you. They will come up with another thing that is brilliantly priced for you and for me and everybody else in this county to buy and we'll all wear it at the same time. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? But God says that he's the rock. The rock of ages. He is timeless. He is, he is not built on today. He's built on forever. Amen? Man, we are cruising. This is awesome. So, we know what the church is, yes? All right? This is the house of God. All right? We've got a banner and... and you know, as much as, you know, the crusaders have ruined it for us, there's probably supposed to be a cross on our banner, right? And, and our banner stands for something. And it's an internal value system. And it's built on who? You guys are killing it today. It's built on Jesus. And not just that Jesus was a great teacher, not that Jesus was a great prophet, not that Jesus was a great man, and especially not that Jesus was a myth, but that Jesus 
actually lived a physical, tangible life, that he was seen by angels, he was vindicated and justified and approved in front of people with witnesses by the Holy Spirit. He was preached to the nations and he was believed in the nations and that he ascended to heaven. And that last one is important because that's kind of what we're all banking on, right? We're banking on the fact that he has the keys to eternal life. Like, I mean, we should be honest, right? Like, the fact that he was able to do it means he's giving it to us. It's kind of like when the first person broke the four-minute mile. It's possible, right? Jesus ascended into heaven after he died. He has the keys to eternal life. So how do we do this? What do we do? What does it look like for us to be in the house of God forever? Because surely, and I don't know who Shirley is, but surely God's, I couldn't help myself. It's been right there the whole time. God's goodness and his mercy will pursue us all the days of our lives. Amen? And we will dwell, we will live, we will abide in the house of God forever. I got to flip. There we go. I'm in the wrong one. Well, turn with me to John. John 15 is where we're going to end this morning. We know what the church is. It's the house of God. We know that it's built on Jesus Christ. We know what the, who Jesus is, right? But how do we operate inside of this together? John 15, Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's saying his goodbyes. He's saying his last words to his disciples that he's been walking and talking and riding on rough boat rides with and telling the waves to slow down and casting out demons. This is the last thing that he says to his disciples. John 15. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. Sorry, we're in verse 1. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch, seems a little harsh, and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. A little bit more harsh. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Is anybody confused about where life is coming from in this relationship? 
Jesus, right? Jesus is painting a picture, but it's a pretty clear picture, right? We are grafted into a tree, and that tree of life is Jesus Christ. And if we get cut off from it, we're going to wither, we're going to be thrown away and burned. To be clear, it's not the other way around. God does not need the church. We do not fuel him. We do not give life to him. We produce nothing for him. We get life from him. Amen? This hierarchy is important because we're going to get into something here. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's not a memo. It's my commandment. Love each other. In the same way, I have loved you. Jesus goes on to specify how he has loved us. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. To yield to each other. To yield to each other. In the epistles, it says, submit one to another. That does not mean that Pat gets to tell me what to do or that I get to tell Pat what to do. It's that we are in a battle about which one is gonna say, hey, you know what? Let's do it your way. I trust your relationship with Jesus. Pat, let's do it your way. Four o'clock in the morning, let's do it my way. (laughs) I can't be fishing that early, Pat. (laughs) It's that we are fighting to yield to each other and let each other go first. You are my friends if you do what I command. Doesn't seem super friendly. How many of you guys have those friends? You're like, we're friends because you obey me. (laughs) So you're bringing the steaks to the barbecue, right? got lost. I, <laughs> there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves, which means he did consider them slaves. Now you are my friends since I told you everything the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. And I want to repent before you right now that I have preached out of this scripture and I have said Jesus is your buddy. Jesus wants to come to your barbecue. Jesus wants to come and sit around a campfire with you and shoot the breeze. But that is not the context of Jesus' relationship with the people that he's talking to. I mean, he just called them slaves, right? Like, think about 
slavery. When a slave becomes free, it's not like, hey, now you bring the punch to the barbecue. That, uh. He's saying that there's a relationship where God doesn't confide in his slaves, but now he's going to confide in us. But that doesn't mean that our relationship has changed. We think of friends in our culture like our buddies and how many numbers we have on Facebook. The people we share life with. But in Jesus' day, there was a thing called a client-patron relationship. Think Godfather. It was a Roman relationship where one person was superior and that person, a patron, had friends. And that patron gave that friend business. That patron gave that friend friend loans. But that friend was submitted to their patron. Now, does that fit all the things that Jesus says like 17 times? If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Remain in me. If you don't remain in me, you're hosed. Right? Our friendship, our relationship with God is that he is God. Come on. And we are his friends only because he said we're his friends. Only because he paid the price for us to go. He paid our way. And now we repay him. And he asks us, over and over and over and over and over. And I can't say this enough because I've been in church long enough to watch this go sideways. Over and over and over and over and over again, he says this. If you can't treat each other with some kindness, you're not mine. If you cannot lay down your ego, you're not mine. You don't belong to this house. Because this house is about loving each other. Paul says that when everything is burned up, when everything is gone, there will be three things that last. It is faith, hope, and love. And gosh darn it, faith is how we get into heaven, amen? Come on. Hope is what we're doing, that this all works out. And he says, those other ones, they're going to be burned up. The greatest of these is love. Because the head of our house loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. He left his cush, cush, heaven home to live with us. If you're married and you have children, you know that was a bad idea. Because humans are a mess. And I'm not talking about stuff all over the floor. I'm not talking about all the soccer crap that is in my entryway. I'm talking about the hate. I'm talking about the self-centeredness. I'm talking about the mine, 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 mine. I can't, I can't get on the news because it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking what people say about each other. 
It's heartbreaking what nations do to each other. And I'm going to tell you guys right now, there's enough of all that in my home that I don't need to go find more to think about. Because my house is out of order. God is constantly checking me and saying, well, are you going to be the boss of your home? Or are you going to be submitted? And you're going to submit and yield and love your children. That's all I got. All right. Bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm not going to invite the music team to come on up because we all have to wrestle with this stuff when we're at work. We have to wrestle this stuff when we're at our homes, wrestle with this stuff when we are driving, whether or not God is who he said he is. And whether or not I'm going to be part of his house and live and live, live, live the kindness that he showed me. Jesus, I'm so grateful for what you've done for me. I'm so grateful for what you've done for the church. God, help us. We absolutely need your help to remember who this church is built on, to remember who the master of this house is and what you require of us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to push on our self-centeredness, our arrogance, our own ways, and reveal Christ to us. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, love you guys. Go get your kids. Go to Costco. I might see some of you at Dairy Queen. Bye-bye. <laughs>